0: Hey everybody, Cynthia Sam here and welcome to the New Man Podcast. Uh, this is part two of my interview with Dr. Joe Martin. If you haven't listened to part one yet, I highly recommend you go back first because uh, there's a little bit of context he provides. Well, actually the whole interview, really the f- whole first part is giving context to what you're about to listen to. Uh, but this is an incredible story and he put it so well. It's from rags to riches to ruin to redemption. So episode one talked about rags to riches This episode, we're going to talk about ruin, or how he gets to ruin, and then to redemption. It's an unbelievable story. I know you're going to be blessed by it. Let's cue that music and get into it. Welcome to The New Man Podcast, a show for brave men to experience freedom in their faith, sexuality, and relationships. The goal? To provide practical tools and timeless principles that help you become the man you were made to be. And now, your host, Sathya Sam. So tell us a little bit about that transition from riches now to ruin. ruin. What wow. happened there?
1: You're absolutely right, Sathya. You're right on point. Um, I tried to outrun my past because as I'm achieving, by this time, I got married at the age of 24. No, at 22. Okay. I got married at 22. So I got married really young. Oh, so you're married while you're accomplishing, so I'm all married. Yeah, well, I'm okay. accomplishing all this. stuff. married, yeah, while I'm accomplishing all this stuff. So I'm 22 years old and I got and I have a child by the time I'm 26, 20 well, 27 when I had Kendall. So 27. So you're talking about already into parenthood, being a husband, father, you know, leader, all this other stuff. But do you know that I never told my ex-wife about any of that stuff? All but, she knew from was from your past, uh, you mean. Right, from my past. I didn't tell her about being abused as a child. I didn't tell her about my mom's drinking problem. I didn't tell her about the abandonment issues that I had. Because all she saw was this young guy who's already graduated, working on his master's degree. He's getting ready to finish his master's degree he's only 22 years old. You right. see what I mean? So she's seeing this guy who has a great job, you know, working for the federal <laughs> government. I was getting paid in the top 10% of people in my field. And she's <laughs> thinking, wow, what a catch. <laughs> and I was a good dude, I was a nice guy. Right. And so we get into this marriage and she doesn't know about my past. And I tell guys now that's in our organization, and who we mentor and we disciple, we tell you that that you shouldn't bury your past because if you're gonna bury something, make sure it's dead <laughs> because it'll come back to life. It'll come back to you like a zombie out of bad movie. Yeah, and so it. I buried my past, but guess what? It was a zombie. It came back hmm. and it came back at the wrong moment. And it came back in my marriage around, I will say right before Kendall was born, I'm having these conflicts with my wife and it's not, huge bad things. How come you're not emotionally connected to me? How come, you know, what, how come when you are at night, why do you, what are you screaming about at night? Cause I've had any night, what do you call them, night terrors? Yeah. And there's times I would kick her and punch her while I'm sleeping. It was wow. me fighting my abuser.
0: Yeah, and of course. You would
1: ask me what's going on, Joseph, you're okay? I said, no, I'm good. I just had a nightmare and I'm not telling her anything. <laughs> and she's feeling like, and I'm emotionally pulling away. And as I'm emotionally pulling away what we do when it comes to dealing with porn, I'm looking for coping mechanisms. Okay. I'm trying to medicate to get rid of the, the kill, these these feelings of inadequacy and rejection because every time my wife would not want to have sex or she would, criti- quote, criticize, it wasn't really criticism, when she would criticize me on something or correct me on something, it was triggering me, I'm not good enough. Okay. She's going to leave me. Okay. Wow. It, saw, it put up all those things. Now, here I am with all these achievements, and all it took was, see, those people who see me achieve, they're not living with me.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: But this woman who's living with me saying, oh, I see all this shine, but boy, there's some things about him that he can prove on. But every time she would point something out, it would trigger me. Hmm. She, say I, she never told me I was a bad husband, that I wasn't a good father, but she would try to correct me, and I would look at it as if she was attacking me. And eventually, if I don't measure up, she's going to leave me too. So I started getting very, becoming very controlling and domineering and trying to control everything that she did. She, where is this guy coming from? Not right. realizing all I'm doing is dealing with my past trauma in a bad way. So when I'm not around her, I'm looking at porn. Now, the bad thing about it is that not only was I hooked on porn, I had money, Cynthia. Right. I was getting paid. Right. The worst thing you can do for an addict... You want somebody who's hooked on cocaine, don't give him money. You want somebody who has a gambling problem, the last thing you want to do is give them money. Yeah. Somebody who can't control their eating, the last thing you want to do is give them money and send them to a buffet. Right. And so with me, with porn, I had money. So the pizza, people on the screen wasn't enough for me. I had to go to the strip clubs. In the strip clubs was enough for me, because guys, all these guys want these women. They can't have them, but if you got enough money, they'll come home with you. Hmm. And so if, and I and I could see women on, um, I could see women on television or who were entertainers and everything. And I said, wow, I would love to get with somebody like J Lo. Guess what? I would never have J Lo, but if you got enough money, I could find a woman that looks just like J Lo. Right. Yeah. Maybe even better. And I had access to any kind of woman that I wanted to. You're talking about escorts, going to these these parties where there was stuff that existed in America that I didn't even know existed in America. (laughs) And, And it was illegal, at least no cops would come and break it up. Right. Where they're having orgies and sex parties and all you have to do is have enough money to get in. And you can have any woman you want, name what you want. So I'm just feeding this fetish and all this sickness and illness all this time, my wife has no idea I'm doing this. Okay. That money was a curse to me because huh. it gave me access to things. And that's how, that's when the ruins start because I didn't tell her about any of it. And okay. I never confessed, I was a coward. I didn't come clean. I wasn't honest about it. And eventually she found out. Now, you know what the sad part was that she found out and obviously she wanted to divorce me because I wasn't just an adulterer. I was a serial adulterer, Right. hundreds of women thousands of acts of adultery and so she is you know what it takes for a woman to heal from that and to trust again so she wants to leave but here's the the sad thing about it not only that she did she wanted to leave i was happy she found out Hmm. because i couldn't stop i wouldn't stop okay and now that i'm hitting rock bottom even though it felt like my life was over i'm thinking maybe this will stop now because now i'm in save the marriage mode Right. What can I do to save the marriage? Yeah, you got to But, Cynthia, I'm going to tell you how bad my rock bottom was. When she found out, I wasn't even in the same city. I was down in um, in um, Fort Lauderdale, nearby hometown, Fort Lauderdale. And I get a call from her that she says that she is done. That if she sees me, she's going to kill me. I'm going to literally say, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> Don't you ever come back here. Our marriage is over. She was a virgin when I met her. Now imagine me doing all of this to her, right? Wow. I was her first. Okay. And so she tells you this now. For the average man, wouldn't that devastate you if she calls yeah. you and tells you, "Don't come home"? You already, I'm my clothes are at home. Yeah, my car is at home. You got a kid Every, together. I got. We got a kid. Oh, my son is at home. You tell me I can't come back that same night, Cynthia. I go to a strip club and bring home one, bring back to the hotel one of the strippers. The same night after she told me that, that was my rock bottom. Okay. You were just unfazed. And just, it, I was devastated, but not devastated enough to stop. And I remember after that stripper left, I was crying hmm. in tears. And I'm thinking, what have I done to my life? Hmm. And it was by the grace of God that my half brother who lived in Miami, nobody could reach me. He came to visit me. I don't know how, to this day, Cynthia, I don't know how he found me. he found me and all he said to me, my brother said to me, I just talked to him on father's day. He says, um, I know how you feel and I know what you're thinking about doing, but I'm not leaving here until you decide to go back home. Wow. I ended up missing my flight. He sat with me. He didn't say much. He just sat there with me and he says, you know, you still got a reason to keep going. He said, and that's your son. That's what got me back on that plane to go back home, to face the consequences and the hell that was awaiting me when I got back home. But that was my ruin, my rock bottom. And that's when things started, when I realized, OK, I need to stop. I need to get some help. Wow. And that's when I decided I was open now to finally getting help because I didn't think I had a problem. Yeah. I just thought that, wow, you know, my wife's got the problem. I wouldn't be doing this if she was do what she's supposed to be doing. Yeah, And yeah. so that's when I realized that, okay, I need some help. That's when I finally realized, okay, I'm sick. Wow. It's, it's, it's
0: sick, just, it's help. an incredible story. And I, I mean, when you kind of, you've given us so much great context, like you, you grow up in the projects, um, just have the, a really difficult hand dealt to you. You know that there's something more for you and you eventually get your opportunity. You seize it. Um, you kind of have, uh, just a roaring ride in your twenties. High of highs, and then it it's interesting because in some ways it's it's the same patterns that go again. It's instead of the fear of abandonment at the expense of food, uh, like you know if you leave me, then I lose my food. Now it's um, you know if you lose if you leave me, I lose my son. Right. Um, and you know you had the the father figure come in, uh, your cousin initially, but he wasn't really the right kind of father figure. He was uh, totally abusive. Now you have your you said it was your brother. Was it your brother my who came? brother, my half your brother. Your half brother. Mm-hmm. your half brother who shows up. Um, so it, it, interesting how in, in some ways we're seeing similar patterns, but there's already a change developing. Like things have evolved a bit. What is it like now when you you go back home, you have to face the music, the, the same music that's been playing oh. all along, but you <laughs> you didn't want to and, and now in some ways you forced yourself to. What was that like?
1: Oh it was horrible, Sathya. Um <laughs> because the thing the reason why I didn't want to go back home, I didn't want to face my son. How come? I just couldn't. Um, I didn't have a dad growing up. I told you he left when I was two. And any person who grows up without a dad, they always make a vow to themselves, I'm going to be a better dad than my dad was. I'm going to be there for my son. I'm going to be there for my daughter or whoever. I'm going to be the father my dad never was. Right. And then now I got to go home and tell him at the age of nine that I just destroyed our family. I'm not Superman. I'm not the Superman you thought I was. Hmm. I'm not the perfect dad. My son and I are like this. I'm not that guy. I've been living a double life. And I've broken your mom's heart in a million pieces. Hmm. And our lives will never be the same. And I had to tell him that. And when... We were at the table telling him, and my wife said she was going to divorce me. He fainted. Your son fainted? Fainted. Wow. He passed out. And he just fell. And we had to pick him up and resuscitate him. And with tears in his big brown eyes, he just took me out to Father's Day, just this past Father's Day. And tears in his eyes, he looks at me, and he says, can't God fix this? Oh. So then what would you say to him? He says, can't God fix this? Oh, I've got to tell the listeners, by the way, so they, while I'm going through all this stuff and living this life. I'm at church on Sundays. I'm leading men. <laughs> I'm a men's ministry leader. Living this double life. Wow. And so my son, the reason why he mentioned God, because he was in church all the time. <laughs> and he's watching a quote, this man of God do what? Right. And so, of course, when he asked, can God fix this? I looked at her because she's the one that says she's going to divorce me. I'm hoping that she stands up. I'm looking at her like she's Eve. That woman you gave me, she needs to say something. Yeah. (laughs) But she doesn't say a word. So he looks at me. And the worst day of my life, Cynthia, was facing that little boy, became the best day of my life. Hmm. Because what the Holy Spirit told me to tell him. He says, can't God fix this? And I said, Kendall, yes, he can but we're too selfish to let him. Your daddy's too selfish. I didn't want what God wanted. I want what I wanted. And we're too selfish to let him work on this and to heal this and to restore this. Don't you ever blame God for this. Wow. You blame your daddy. Wow. This is, this is on me. And I said that was the best day of my life because it taught my son a very valuable lesson accept responsibility, don't do what Adam did, this woman you gave me. Hmm. And to this day, my son, what I'm most proud of him about, um, he runs a nonprofit organization, right? He started a nonprofit and he's still in college. And he started a nonprofit organization. And I told my son, I said, Kendall, you go through a lot of struggles. You go through a lot of that. I said, you know what I'm most proud of you about? I said, you never make excuses when you mess up, when you screw up, you take responsibility. He said, Dad, I learned that from you. Huh. Wow. And on the back of my car tags at the, I have one of those vanity tags and the vanity tag says no excuse on the back of it. <laughs> That's been my motto. I love and it. And so my worst day of my life was the best day. So that was, I had to face a lot of other crap. Of course. that was the hardest thing I had to face. Cause after I was able to tell him, it was hard, but not as hard. Cause I then had to go from him, now check this out, you ready for this? To my mom. Right. Oh, can you imagine telling your mom? My sister, moment the one who still the doctor had yeah. to tell her. Right. And I had to tell my best friends because <laughs> they didn't know I was living this double life. Right. Because they want to know how did you go from being married for 16 years to now you're divorced?
0: Yeah, yeah. Which, yeah. What
1: happened? Y'all seem to have the perfect family.
0: Yeah, you had it all together. And now
1: I gotta explain. It wasn't something she did, <laughs> it was something that I did. And okay, what did you do? It couldn't have been that horrible. And right. when I tell them, they're like, I want to kill you. Why'd yeah. you do that? To-? You know, so <laughs> they, like what they thought couldn't have been that bad. They couldn't imagine it as being as bad as it right. Because they said, that don't, that just doesn't fit you. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't fit you. Even my wife who I'm married to today sit there. She knows my past. Right. And even her and my daughter, I have a daughter who's not my biological daughter. I tell them, they look at me like, dad, I just don't see it. I just, I I know it's true what you're telling us, but we just, your, your personality doesn't fit it. Yeah. I say, I know, but they know that they just can't believe that was my life. Now you can imagine what my ex-wife felt like. That doesn't go with him. How could he have done all this? And so that's why when I do men's ministry and now, and I work with men, it, man, it's hard for a man to fool me, man. It is hard, <laughs> Cynthia.
0: Oh, I believe it that. It is
1: hard. I could read through BS a mile away, man. <laughs> because I know how to live that life. I yeah. know how to hide. Yes. I know the right things to say, what oh, people yeah. want to hear. Yeah. That's how I was able to do it for so long. Yeah. You know. And so nobody had, nobody has met a game than I have when it comes <laughs> to lying. I knew how to do it. So it's funny that I'll talk to guys and I work with guys and they're like, how did you know i was lying i said trust me dude
0: <laughs> i know <laughs> I've, done I've done it a little bit I know. Yeah, i'm
1: older than you i know <laughs> uh,
0: so i i can kind of see how your son learned responsibility from that moment like that's extremely powerful and we can all relate like we've seen our dads do things in significant moments that we that mark us you know they remind us but i guess i'm curious how, why did you take so much ownership because when i hear about your story, it, it doesn't sound like anybody modeled that for you. Um, and obviously, like you were successful in your 20s, but you were doing this double life. Like in some ways, you weren't taking responsibility then either. Right. So why, why are you now taking responsibility? What,
1: what made you do that? Now, wow, that's a great question, my mom. And let me tell you why. Remember I told you that uh, I graduated from a predominantly white high school? Yes. Well, they, I didn't start going to a white school until I was in middle school. Okay. And so they were integrating the schools at the time. So I was going to middle school, which is for us at that time it was seventh, eighth, and ninth grade. I think they okay, changed okay. now to six, eight, six, seven, and eighth, but it was seventh, eighth, and ninth grade. That was the first time at 12 years old was the first time I ever met a white child. Oh, at wow. 12, oh, yeah, wow. So they bust me out of Liberty City to send me to North Miami to Thomas Jefferson Middle School. Well, so there, I was excited the day before I went to middle school because I was going to get white children for the first time ever. I saw them on television but I'd never like touched a white child before. So I'm thinking, wow, did it feel like me? You know what I mean? That's that kind of wow. thing, right? So I get to school and I'm super pumped and excited about meeting white children. Well, something else happened that day too. When I showed up at Thomas Jefferson Middle School, I realized for the first time that we were poor. I didn't know that. Now okay. I knew we didn't have a lot, you know, but I thought everybody lived that way. So I'm right. thinking, what's the big deal? But I noticed that it was not only white kids who had more than we had. Black kids have more than we had going to school there. Um, Cuban kids, Puerto Rican kids, because you know, we got all of them. Nicaraguan, Dominican, you name it. We had Jamaicans, Haitians, all of them have more than what we had. And hmm. I couldn't understand that. Are they lying that they got their own room with a door <laughs> on it and everything? Right. I said, are they lying that they can change the channel on their television without getting up with something called a remote control? I mean, That's I was right. hearing stuff like this. And I'm thinking they're making this stuff up. And they were wow. talking about in their kitchen, they had this little box in their kitchen they can put food in and hit a few buttons and then the food comes out real fast. I'm like, what? Y'all lying. <laughs> like that, right? And they said, they are looking at me like I'm from out of space. Dude, you never heard of a microwave oven before? And I'm like, no. Wow. We didn't have air conditioning in our home. And so I didn't know about microwaves and remote controls and color TVs and all this other stuff. And people having the kids having their own room. right? You know, we all slept in the same bed. You know, (sighs) And so when I got home, this is what happened. I go to my mom who had to be 28 years old at the time and I'm crying. And mom said, baby, why are you crying? Did you get a fight in school or something? I said, no mama, why didn't you tell me? She said, tell you what, that we were poor. And she starts laughing because she thought it was cute and adorable. And I'm like, mama, it's not funny. She said, baby, you didn't know we were poor? I said, no mama, why didn't you tell me? I said, I just want to know why. And my right. mom looked at me and she put her head down, Cynthia. She put her head down and I thought she was praying or something. And I found out later on that she told me years later she was praying. So she put her head down. I said, this is a strange time to be praying if I just asked you. <laughs> I got tears in my eyes. Are you praying? <laughs> like that, right? I said, mom, why report? Then she looks back up at me, Cynthia. Changed my life. She says, "Um, baby, the reason why we're poor, it could have been something that I did or didn't do. But baby, I don't want you to ever accept this as your reality. Wow. She says, there's kids around here who never question why they're poor. I didn't question it when I was growing up. But every once in a while, some kid like you grow up here and they ask, why don't you ever accept this as your reality? Now, at 12, I didn't really get it. Now, my son was nine at the time. At 12, I didn't get, but I, did, now, I didn't get it, but I didn't forget it. Right. As I got older, I didn't realize how powerful a statement that was. Because what my mom could have said at the moment was, Your dad left when you were only two years old. Because I was a teenage mother with two kids, and how do you expect us to live when they're only paying you minimum wage and you don't have a high school diploma? Right. Joe, the government doesn't want us to succeed. Have you checked the mirror? You're young, black, living in America. You're not supposed to make it anyway. So stop yeah. asking me those stupid questions and get out of my face. He <laughs> yes. didn't say that. My mom accepted responsibility when she could have put the blame on a lot of people. Hmm. And I remember asking my mom years later when I was graduating from college, that's when she told me, I said, mama, how did you know to tell me that? Cause I asked her, I said, mom, do you remember when I came from Thomas Jefferson? She said, yeah. She said, like, yeah, you couldn't believe we were poor. I said, mama, what you told me changed my life. How did you know to tell me that? She says, baby, I didn't know what I was saying. I said, you didn't? She said, no, when you asked me, I was shocked because I'm thinking, how this boy doesn't know we're poor? Said, but when <laughs> yeah. you asked the question, all I did is I prayed. She said, remember she put her head down, and she said, I prayed. And I said, God help me because I don't know what to tell this boy. Wow. And then she, I said, then what happened? She said, well, the Holy Spirit just told me, accept responsibility. Man, oh that was man. it. She said, Don't make an excuse. Huh. So I'm like, Okay, what am I, what am I responsible for? <laughs> and so she, that, she took responsibility, not knowing that would be the model of the rest of my life. Right. And the model of my that mom you passed- Sathya, if she would have used one excuse that day, I'd have been still using that excuse today to justify my bad behavior and my wrong choices. That's now, amazing. do you see why when I told Kendall that, I had a mama moment? You did. Here yeah. I now, I understood, oh, thank you. I understood my, what the, the the shame and the pain my mom had to be going through at that moment when a 12 year old is asking her that. Now I get the shame and the guilt of a nine year old asking, can't God fix this? Yeah, right. I had my mom's moment That's and amazing. like my mom, my mom knocked it out of the park that day. I told you she wasn't, she did a lot of things wrong. She knocked it out the park that day. And that's why I say, even though that was the worst day of my life with my son, I knocked it out the park that day.
0: It's amazing. And it's, it's crazy because it's not like the, the obvious lesson is that you're teaching responsibility, taking mm-hmm. ownership. But there's this amazing impartation of identity that's happening in that moment as well. She's saying, don't let that be your reality. Mm-hmm. And I, I think in some ways your son is watching. He's watching his dad own his mistake. Like he's watching right. him be a, a real man. And um, that's it's just incredibly powerful and amazing to see that get passed down, really from generation to generation. When you piece all the stories together,
1: can so um, can I, can I inter- interrupt you? Please, because you just reminded me of something that my son said. And when we got a divorce, um, I ended up getting custody of my son. Okay. Now we had joint custody, and then he wanted to move with me, and so his mom really, you know, that devastated her. How in the world will you want to live with this man? after what he's done to our family. Right. He's the reason why we're divorced. He's the reason why you live in two separate households. He's the reason why you don't have your family together. And my son said, and I quote, at the age of 14, says this, because mom, he failed, but you quit. whoa, whoa. wow. Fourteen, you said? Fourteen. Wow. S- and she said, what do you mean? Um he you know, he quit. No, 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 no. Dad fell, but he got up. Mom, you quit. Wow. Cause he saw me trying to fight for the marriage. Yeah. Doing a divorce. Yeah, yeah. Now him and his mom are still close today. They're close today, but when he said that, I'm thinking, out of the mouth of babes.
0: No kidding. Wow. That's it right there. Man, oh, man. So you've gone from rags to riches to, <laughs> to ruin. <ruined. laughs> so take us home, man. How did,
1: you get, how did you redeem all of this? Now, I didn't do anything. It was God's mighty hand in the grace and mercy of God. He led me to a man who changed my life, um, a spiritual father to me. Because remember, I had the dad who abandoned me. I yep. had the pseudo dad who abused me. And now he sent me a, oh, God's good. He sent me a man who discipled me. Hmm. And I met him and I don't, We that's not That's be another show of just how I met him. It's amazing. But I end up meeting him by divine intervention. It is a, it's one of the most amazing stories you will ever hear, Cynthia. how I met this dude. Can, can you give he, us the Coles notes or something? Uh, it, it'll take too long to go because I'll be leaving out too much. All I can <laughs> okay, tell you okay. is that I had a better chance of winning the lottery than meeting this guy. Let's put it okay. that way. I'm gonna put it in context for you. I have a better chance, you couldn't have scripted it. It's a Hollywood movie encounter. Okay. That it, it, I had a better chance to win the lottery, meet <laughs> this dude. The impact that he's had on my life now, is makes it even more amazing, okay? Mm. But I met him and I had a chance to spend, um, um, to live with him for five days while I was down there on a speaking trip in Miami, back in Miami. And this is after I had lost everything, but yet I still had my career amazingly enough. Right. But um, I was down there and um, he tried to save me some money by staying in his house. Okay. <laughs> so I'm in his house with him and his eight kids and his wife. And for the first time in my life, I saw a real man, hmm. a real husband, a real father, a real leader. He had five boys, three girls. Okay. And I watched him do devotions together. I watched him eat food at the table together. I watched him pray and put them to bed at night together. And he included me in on it as if I was one of his kids. And yet I'm only like 10 years younger than he is. Right. But he's treated me like I'm one of their his children. And he's exposing me to all of this. now he doesn't even know if I'm a believer. And so I'm living with him for five days and for five days, if you're hanging out with somebody for five days, Cynthia, you can't fake it. Yeah. They get to see you up, down, around and everything else. So I'm going to work with him. I'm hanging out with him because I was this guest speaker they're bringing in. So I'm like the celebrity, right? right? But I'm hanging out with him. But the whole time I am hanging out with him, my mouth is open. Like, I've never seen a man like this before. Huh. Look how his wife respects him. Look how his children respond to him. Man, every time he comes home from work, it's like they just run after him. As if they'd never seen him before, right? <laughs> I'm like, wow. And I'm just in awe of this. And he's not explaining anything. He's just living his yeah. life. So he takes me back to the airport and he has this big old bag full of resources like books and CDs and DVDs and about parenting, about being a a husband, because he's thinking he's never going to see me again. Right. So he says, Joe, I know um, you had a lot of questions. I was asking him questions about certain things. Why, Why are you guys reading that? What's the purpose of this? Why are you doing that? How'd you know, and your son asked this, how'd you know to tell him that? So he's starting to pick up that this dude has no, this dude got a PhD that has no idea how to be a dad or, you know, right? And so he's answering my question. So he gives me this bag of resources and I start crying, right? At the airport, he says, Joe, why are you crying? I used to call him Mr. Mintz at the time. Now he's Howard to me. I said, Mr. Mintz, you have no idea how long I've been praying for God to send me a Paul. Someone to to mentor me, to coach me, to show me, to disciple me. And for some reason, I thought God was just punishing me because he never sent me one. And anybody He would send me, they would always do bad things to me. Right. I said, now that I've lost everything, pretty much everything, I said, then you come into my life and I see what I've been missing. And I'm thinking, why didn't I have this guy before I did all this stuff? Right, yeah. And now I'm realizing I'm getting ready to get on the plane. I'm never going to see you again. So I got one question for you. I know you got eight kids, but would you adopt just one more?
0: And <laughs> What's another started, one?
1: Yeah, he starts crying and he says, yes, Joe, I, I'll help you. I just talked to him on Father's Day, <laughs> this past Father's Day. He's wow. been now shepherding me for the last, I guess, going on 16 years. And okay. so he's he stepped into my life and he starts showing me and coaching me and from that, I realized that I can find more guys like him if I look at him and, I'm, in, and I'm, I'm intentional about it. And so he was the one that planted the seed for me doing this. Because after you know, every as the years went by, and now I start, I met a new woman, got a new life, and everything's going great. And I asked him, I say, Howard, how can I ever pay you back what you've done for me, man? This is, it's like I've been, it's been a resurrection. I thought God was done with me based on what I did to God and how I abused His grace. He says, Joe, you don't owe me anything. Just do one thing for me. I said, what's that? He says, go make disciples. Wow. And now he didn't know I was going to start Real Men Connect. But you can imagine, talking about somebody who's proud of me, that dude is so freaking proud. He gives money to my ministry, Cynthia. (laughs) I'm like, (laughs) Howard, you don't have to give anything, man. You've given (laughs) up." No, Joe, I believe in what you're doing. You're doing awesome. And he has been my biggest cheerleader. But Cynthia, do you realize he has never been on my podcast? And won't ever come.
0: Okay.
1: And I've been begging him.
0: Oh, I bet it yeah. And you know
1: why he won't come? He says, Joe, I don't want people to know about me. He even the fact that I'm telling you this will make him mad. <laughs> he doesn't want anybody to know. Wow. He is truly a disciple of Christ. He wants his reward in heaven, not here. Wow. And I just tell him, say, Howard, you know I gotta talk about you, man. I don't care what you say. I'm mean, to have to tell people. Yeah, and now it's so funny. It's a a running joke in our ministry. Everybody thinks that Howard is a figment of my imagination. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah.
1: Nobody's (laughs) ever met him. Now, I got (laughs) pictures of him and I show them. They say, That's not Howard because he's not on social media. He hasn't written any books. Right. They think I'm lying, Cynthia. The dude is real. (laughs) I'm telling you. I can show you pictures of him with me hugging him, you know, and his wife. But nobody believes me because they've never seen this man. Now, my family knows him they've met him and know that he's real yeah for sure. everybody else i tell about they don't believe it they think we got
0: witnesses (laughs) (laughs) i love it i love it It sounds like just um a godsend and it's funny like i you didn't know this but we've had this theme of fatherhood on the podcast for the last little bit and we're interviewing another guy even this week who's kind of talking about the same thing so it's just um it's amazing the way this is kind of threaded through your story growing up without a father and and the ultimate redemption coming with god bringing you a real fatherly figure, um, a godly man, and um, just one purpose, which is to make disciples as, um, as Jesus instructed us. That has led you to create men's, uh, Real Men Connect. Um, so I'd love for you to just tell us a little bit about what that is and what you do. And then tell us a little bit about your family life as well. Like you mentioned getting remarried, but tell us what does what all that look like these days and you still have a great relationship with your son and mm-hmm. just uh, you know, bring this home for us a little bit.
1: Yeah, this is my redemption story, part of my redemption story. When I started Real Men Connect, we started an organization and that we are designed to help men win, period. Our job is to help Christian men win at what matters and frustrates them the most as men, as husbands, as fathers, as spiritual leaders. Now, here's where the frustration comes in. Every man you meet wants to be a godly husband. I'm talking about a Christian man. And And any man, even if he's not a believer, wants to be a successful husband, a successful father, a successful um, leader in his home, but less than 10% of men were ever shown how to be that kind of man by the man in their home. So that's where the frustration comes in because we have the desire to be better than our dad Or the man that was in our lives, our stepdad or whoever, the abuser, the abandoned person, the person who abandoned us, rejected us, didn't love us, didn't treat us with respect or whatever. We want to be better than him. We want to be better. But we don't have a model of what that looks like. Hmm. And so we find ourselves frustrated because we know what we don't want, but we can't focus on what we do want. So we created an organization, Real Men Connect, by helping win, win, win win at what matters most by getting them connected to men who can mentor them coach them, get counseling, because counseling is a big part. Remember, I didn't get counseling. Oh, yeah. by the way, Cynthia, I ended up getting three years of counseling because of that trauma to finally deal with it. And I went through Good. seven years of recovery through um, SAA and CR, through Celebrate Recovery. Okay. I still had to go I still had to go back and get that help that I needed. So okay. what we provided for men is that we help Christian men win at what matters and frustrates them the most by providing them with a Christ-centered focus on community, connection, coaching and counseling by giving them help and giving them hope in the hardest areas of their life. Hmm. Our job is to make sure that no man does life alone ever again. And that Hmm. no man gets left behind and no man, even if he's stuck, doesn't stay stuck. So we do life with our men. We're high touch, high intensity, because we believe that the devil doesn't take any days off. So our ministry is 365 days out of the year, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Any time of the day, hour, it doesn't matter, they can reach out to somebody to yes. get help. They can get help. So that's so we're providing that place for men who want to be better husbands and fathers, but they weren't taught how to be.
0: I love and we're it. trying
1: to do that through community.
0: Oh, it's an amazing thing you're doing. And
1: now, and you okay. mentioned about my family life. Now, so I, I end up meeting a woman and I'm married to my wife. Now, this mad this August will be um nine years. We've been together now, um, 13 years. And I have a bonus daughter, I call it a bonus daughter. Her dad abandoned her when she was five years old when I met Tanya. She's now 18 right now and she's in college and you can't convince her that I'm not her daddy. She, she used to be close to her dad and her dad left and didn't come back into her life and it devastated her. Hmm. But she became my daughter. And one of the biggest gifts I ever received was when she reached a certain age at 16, she was able to get my name legally. So she has my last name. And I tell people about my experience with my daughter. Now, her name is Faith, but ironically. Faith is her name. And I said, this is what I tell people. Parents hate when I say this. I said, what I learned about having my daughter Faith and having my son, Kendall, is that biological kids are overrated. <laughs> because they say, well, how can you say that? I love my son. There. You, I told you, Kendall and I have been through everything together. I of love course. him. But there's something different, Cynthia. When my son calls me dad, and when my daughter calls me daddy, hmm. it sounds different because my son—I'm all he ever knew. Yeah. So didn't I didn't have, have a to choice. do anything for the title. He had no choice. Yeah. I earned the title with my daughter because she didn't yeah. used to always call me daddy. Yeah, she used to call right. me Mr. Joseph. <laughs> and I told, and I told, and she couldn't. She felt that I don't know why I can't call you. I said you don't have to call me daddy. I know you love me, I don't know. And she didn't realize the reason why she couldn't call me that because she felt like she was betraying her own dad okay. by calling me that. I said, Faith, you never have to call me that. I know you love me. Then the day she told me, I almost lost my mind. Oh man, you're gonna make me cry, I, bro. I crumbled, it's, Cynthia, like yeah. tissue paper. And she said, Daddy, why are you crying? I'm like, I thought it wasn't a big deal. I said, I didn't think it was either. <laughs> like, right? yeah. It just sounded different coming from her. Yeah. It, it tore me up. And when I talk about how I'm so proud to be her dad, she said, Daddy, how come every time you tell me about being proud to be my dad, you always cry when you do it? I said, Faith, because I don't deserve you. I said, what I've done to women, what I did to Kendall's mom, God's gotta be real. Cause not only did he give me another chance, he could have given me a woman with no kids. He could have given me a woman with a son. Yeah, He gives me a woman with a daughter who dad abandons her. So he's saying even as messed up and jacked up as you are, Joe Martin, I got something for you. Man. I'm gonna show you how I can turn ashes into beauty. Yeah. Cause I got a daughter who heart is broken. I got one who's walking around in shame thinking he's, a, he's, he's done too much. Yeah, yeah. And I'm gonna bring you two together. See, Cynthia, I got to praise him. I got to praise him. Even if you won't, I will. Hmm. God is real. Because this makes no sense. Then make me be a leader of men. Are you serious? Come on, man. God's real. (laughs) Yeah. If nobody believes anything, look at my life. God is real. God is real. Cause this makes no sense. This ministry, my second marriage, me being a father of a daughter, and when we got married to them, my son was saying, "Why are you guys making such a big deal about the wedding? Why don't y'all just go down to the courthouse and get married?" He's now this time he's fifteen years old. He said, "Why y'all? Get? He said y'all love each other. Why you got to go through all this stuff?" I said, Kendall, you don't get this." I said, "Me and Tanya, we're not celebrating the marriage. We're celebrating God's mercy." Yeah. Towards us. Cause I even tell you my wife's story. You need to hear her story. Whoa. I said, faith knows what Tanya has been through. You know what I've been through. Let me ask both of you. They're both in the car the same day. I said, let me ask both of you. Do we deserve to be in a happy marriage? They said, no, (laughs) (laughs) not basically y'all know about us. Do you think we deserve this? They said, no. I said, that's what we're celebrating. That's it. God's grace and his mercy. So when, you know how most we have the traditional wedding song when they go down the and out, we had a different wedding song. Our wedding song was, Oh, How He Loves Us.
0: Wow, come on, it's beautiful. Oh, how
1: he loves us so.
0: Oh man. That was our
1: wedding song, man. And every mm. time it comes on, it's just a reminder. We don't deserve any of this.
0: Yeah. God's oh, grace and his mercy. That's perfect. No, beautifully, beautifully said. Uh, I want to ask you two final questions here as we wrap up. Uh, first question is you have uh, a training video and um, I wanted you to just talk a little bit about it. Cause I know uh, a lot of guys here are going to be touched by your story and they're going to want to, how they can connect from you, glean from you. Uh, tell us a little bit about that.
1: Man, Cynthia, for your guests, we got a great gift. And I got to tell you how this gift came about. It wasn't planned specifically for your guests. I'm just sharing it and giving it to your guests. Yeah, yeah. Um, we can, um, when I set up our ministry, um, The common question I get asked is, Joe, how did you make it out of that and get redeemed? And I found out there was five key things that I needed, five key things that I needed um, to get my life back. And what I noticed when I launched our podcast, which you know is the top rated podcast on Apple Podcasts for Christian men, I would ask them um, these questions at the end of our podcast. And I noticed every time I asked them about their comeback story, they would mention one of the five. You did it. Are you following me? You will mention one of these five things. And so I decided, I said, wait a minute. I need to teach these five things to other men. Now, check this out. When men reach out to us, because they're usually struggling with something, we ask them, uh, we do an evaluation on those five things. Okay. And we said, tell us how you are in these five areas. Wait for this is there? hundreds of applications to try to get into our ministry and our organization and our brotherhood. Not one person has scored more than one on it. Either Uh-oh. a zero or one, the most they can get is a five. <sighs> and so what we realized is that those five things actually work. Huh. And what I realized, and now here's the, the, um, the spoiler alert found out eventually, so they, I thought I was smart and I came up to five. We stole them from Jesus. Uh- <laughs> Jesus had the dog on five. I could have just went right to the Bible and found it anyway. <laughs> and so, Cause I realized I said, wow, I'm smart. And I said, no, nah, it wasn't smart. We plagiarized. Jesus had every one of these five, but here's the great thing about it. Jesus only needed one. He didn't need the other four. But he had it, which is my question. Why, if you only needed mm-hmm. one, to show us that we need the other, other four too? So okay. I'm keeping it now. I'm hoping they're thinking, what are these all going five things? <laughs> they get it for free. Go to rmcfree.com and get the video and watch it. It's about 30 minutes long and it's going to show you those five key areas. Okay. And what you do is now, if you follow that five step plan, You should be able to write your comeback story. Now, people say, why do you send that video out to people? What we're saying is that you need these five things. But here's the thing. You can choose to do those five by yourself. Or you can choose to get those five in community with other men. That's it. I don't care what community you go to, your church, to a small group or whatever. What we're saying is that you just better have those five. And what we do, obviously, in our ministry, we help men get stronger in those five areas. That's all we do.
0: Wow. I love it. Absolutely love it. My last question for you, um, you had mentioned like, you know, struggling with pornography, you're hiring escorts, prostitutes, having this sex addiction. Mm -hmm. Um, You hit your rock bottom moment. You took responsibility. Uh, You had a mentor come in. Um, You're talking to guys who are maybe somewhere in that part of their journey. They're struggling. The circumstances are going to be different and unique to them. But they they know that they need to do more, um, and maybe they they can't do everything today. But if there's one thing that you could tell them to do, uh, that you could maybe extrapolate from your own story, what what would it be, Doctor Joe?
1: Well, there's there's a lot, but I would say because when I'm on other people's shows and they're asking me, Joe, if you could do one thing for men, what would it be? And there's a lot of things you know we would change and help men with. Sure. Um, I would start with identity. Okay. Um. There's no way around it. Your identity determines your destiny. You got to know who you are in Christ. Get into the presence of God to let him define who you are, not your behavior. See, I didn't really get an epiphany, a revelation till I realized that I'm not my past. I'm not my pain. I'm not my parents. (laughs) I'm not what people said about me. I'm not what was done to me. I'm not my abuse. I'm not even my sexuality. Are you following me? I'm not what society says about me as an African-American male or what people think about me. I'm not even what I say to myself and think I am. I'm who God says I am. Hmm. And if what he says about me doesn't line up with what I see, I don't accept it. So, one problem I used to have with recovery groups is that they always have you identify you based on your addiction. My yeah. name is Joe, and I'm a sex addict. Hey, Joe. Now, <laughs> I understand why they do it because they want you to accept responsibility. But if I stand before God, He's not going to say, Come to the throne, you sex addict. Yeah, right. He's going to, guess what? He calls me that you are my child in whom I'm well pleased, and you are a sinner saved by grace. Hmm. Have you accepted that? So we got to believe in who he says we are, not what we think we are or what other people say we are. You are not your addiction. You're not masturbation. You're not porn. You're not food, alcohol, drugs, video games. You're not any of this stuff. You're not your job. You're not your salary. You're not your position. You're not your title. You're who God says you are. And if I can give men one gift, is to really understand that we walk with men through this. I call it your, because um, men walk with have an identity crisis through claiming your new born again identity in Christ. And so, mm. then I got to share with you one thing. This is what I will leave Please. out on. Is this? This is something we do in our group. It's called our real men reality, and we not only will we say it every time we come together as men. I even challenge men to memorize it. That's why I'm going to say it to you off from rote memorization because I say it. Before I go to bed, I say it when I get up at night, and I look in the mirror because I have to fight for my identity every single day. I've been sober and walking in sexual purity now for 16 years. Come on. People say, "How do you do it?" I'm clinging to my identity. This is who God says you are. That you are powerful, Cynthia, because the Holy Spirit, my Holy Spirit, lives within you. You are valuable to me, Cynthia, and I can prove it because my son gave—I th- I gave my son's life just for you. So Cynthia, when I look at you, I see the righteousness of my son, not your sins. Hmm. Therefore, when you come to me, you are blameless. You are unashamed and I consider you holy and set apart. Cynthia, this is your new born again identity in Christ, in my son. So as you renew your mind, Cynthia, according to my truth, Not what you heard, not what you've seen, not what you thought, not what they said. According to my truth, I will give you the grace to live, to love, and to lead righteously. Any questions, Sathya? That's (laughs) That's what I would give them. That's where I would start. When you believe that, guess what? All the other stuff that we do, Sathya, to help men walk in sexual purity, it's a piece of cake after that
0: yeah yeah but it
1: starts with knowing who you are you are not your addiction Hmm. you're not your sexual appetite you're not your lust you're not porn images that's not you you're who god says you are
0: it's beautiful absolutely beautiful dr joe thank you so much for uh taking time sharing your story so transparently and inspiring us. And as you're getting going at the end there, I'm like, we need to get you back on here again. (laughs) And uh, now that we got your story, man, we need to hear some of your pearls of wisdom. Unbelievable. Thanks for your time, Dr. Joe. Really appreciate it.
1: Oh, my pleasure. Anytime, bro.
0: Well, there you have it. That is the two-part interview with Dr. Joe Martin. Um, Man, (laughs) just an unbelievable story and, and a really inspiring guy. You can tell he's really passionate about serving men. He's exactly the kind of guy that I like to work with. And, um, it's just, it's an honor. So I I really hope you were blessed by his story. I highly encourage you to go check out his stuff. He's got a number one ranked podcast, Real Men Connect, and he's got some great material on his website as well. Uh, it is worth it. It's really worth the read if you got a couple minutes out of your day. Thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, if you want more interviews like this, we are going to be releasing more. Trust me, we got lots in the works here and, um, and I hope you can click that subscribe button, uh, to get more of these in the future. Without further ado, have an awesome day. We'll talk again soon. Thanks for listening to The New Man Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, you can share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. To catch all the latest, please sign up for the weekly newsletter at www.sathiasam.com or follow on Instagram at sathiamesam.